Thank you for joining us on WPH's Local Matters. This week's broadcast brings us to Veterans Memorial Hall in Richmond, New Hampshire for Father Carney's sermon that kicked off his Holy Face tour on August 12th. Without further ado, Father Carney. This is the conclusion of this sermon. If they lock our churches up again, I'm encouraging people not to buy these relics but we make them and we're going to start giving them out and we're hopefully going to go to Rome if we're allowed to, to have them touch and we're going to give them out for free to people that are really highly devoted to the holy face of Jesus. So think of that. Veronica's breaking through. Don't let anything get between you and Christ and Holy Communion. If you can't receive Holy Communion because the churches are locked, you've got to learn how to make spiritual communions. Say, Francis of Glory talks about spiritual communions. You can make spiritual communions more fervently than someone's receiving a corporal communion that's not receiving it very fervently. It's better to receive communion corporally. That's why St. Francis says, I'm paraphrasing, Oh Lord, I'm not able to receive Holy Communion corporally, but please come to me spiritually. And then unite whatever prayer intention the Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Like if you've got an enemy or someone who's divorced you, you pray for that person. United in that Holy Communion. So that's Veronica. We can be Veronica's. And so that's the female part. And men can be Veronica's too, in a way. But there's a, there's a male part too. St. Dismas. He was the thief on the other side. The other thief was blaspheming. Saying, oh, you can get down if you're God. And the Baptist says, no, we deserve what we've done for our crime. We are getting the just punishment. And then he made a great act of faith. Jesus, will you allow me to come into your kingdom? And what do our Lord say? You will be with me today in paradise. So, St. John Christodom said that St. Dismas had greater faith than the patriarchs. Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Because those three could see the glory of God and they believed. But St. Dismas saw this and he believed. So we can be like the St. Dismas men. And we've, we're criminals just like he was. But we can ask God if we can be in paradise too. Our Lord said, quote, to Sister Mary St. Pierre, cross swords with the communists who are sworn enemies of the church and of Christ. So what else, what else about this devotion? Father Carney, what can you tell me? This is called the Chaplet of the Holy Face. And it's a beautiful chaplet that makes preparation to the Holy Face of Jesus Christ. I call it a minor exorcism for lay people because it says Psalm 67, verse 2, over and over again. Arise, O Lord, and let the enemies be defeated, and let all that hate thee flee from before thy face which Pope Leo XIII wrote in his minor exorcism prayer, which is a diagnostic for exorcists to check to see if somebody has a possession or obsession or oppression. So that's a little minor exorcism. What it does, it makes reparation to the five senses of Jesus. All five senses are found on the face. Hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, seeing, and feeling. So it remembers those 
senses and makes reparation for them during his passion. Then the last one is to remember his last three years and then do that again. So that's done 33 times in honor of how many years he lived. It's a round of ammunition against the communists. The golden arrow prayer which we pray today is a great prayer of reparation for blasphemy. Because blasphemy, our Lord told us to Mary St. Peter, is like a poison arrow that shoots into the heart of God. But a golden arrow is like a sweet arrow that goes into the heart of God, the heart of Jesus Christ, to bring out the mercy of God. Then our Lord told Sister Mary St. Peter, Then he gave me wonderful light on the sublimity of this association and the preference with which he esteems it more than all others established in the church because of its object, to make reparation, God's rights, for all just outrages offered against the divinity by blasphemy profanation of Sunday. Okay. Isn't it time to start giving back God's rights? And to stop making up who we believe God to be, but to actually Follow what he says in the Old Testament and the New Testament, what he is. He's a God of humility and mercy. He's a God of justice. And vengeance is his. And so let me tell you a little story. In the Old Testament, in 2 Parapolanana, there was a king who was greatly outnumbered by the enemy. An Israelite king and his Israelite chosen people of God were greatly outnumbered. So the king decided to ask the Levite to pray. Remember the Levites? What they did to become priests? They followed God's command for reverence, to fight against idolatry. So, the Levite prayed and he was filled with God and he said, men, have confidence in God. When we fight this war, God will fight it for us. And the king was wise. What did he do as a tactic to begin the battle. He put the singing men in the vanguard. What does that mean? He put the men that were singing on the front lines. For as Murtheus and do it forever. In Hebrew, they were chanting. And what did the enemy do? It was like 10 to 1 odds, I don't remember. They started to get confused because they were singing men and dancing. And they started to argue with each other, the enemy. And they started to pull out swords on each other. And then they started to kill each other. And then they were all gone. And a man, it says in the Old Testament, went up on a long, a big tower and he looked out and he saw a pool of blood where the enemy was. Well, if you join this arch confraternity, I think it's like sending the singing men in the vanguard. We want God to fight this war for us. And this is the blueprint of how to do that. And what is this that the church lacks right now? The singing men in the vanguard. It's the bishops and the priests being canons of the cathedrals. There's none in the United States. Because the Third Council of Baltimore decided against them. We need to pray that we get singing men on the front lines. Because if the bishops and the priests are chanting Gregorian chant and doing the high pontifical masses, what are we doing? We're giving honor and reverence and adoration to God. And we're singing on the front lines. The enemy's just going to be confused. Spiritually, in this combat, they're going to just go away. We have a lot of work to do. That's a great plan. Canons, there's a whole history, I can't get into it, but there's still some in Europe 
There's some around the world. But we need places of refuge so people can go and have the divine liturgies as they ought to be in our ancient forms, in our heritage. So many youth are coming to the traditional Latin Mass. That should tell us something. I was at the uh, clergy conference in Wichita, and the priest said there, he's at the cathedral somewhere, and he said, we had all these Masses going on, but we had a Mass in the evening, kind of out of the place, for the Latin Mass. And so many people started coming up, it was against fire code. He said, you priests got to start thinking about this Latin Mass. This was in my own diocese. If we don't start adoring God the way He wants to be adored, then we're not going to win against the enemy. So, connection to Fatima, May 13th. Remember that? What happened? Boniface the... Fourth in 608, he took out the veil of Veronica on May the 13th every day. Why did our Lord, our Lady, our Lady of Fatima, choose to start appearing on May the 13th and then June the 13th and then there was August it was off? There's six months. Why does she do that? I don't know. I'm sure she has many reasons, but. Since my birth on November 11th, and I love St. Martin of Tours, who's one of the three patrons of the Archconfraternity of Holy Place, the other one's being St. Michael, the Archangel, and the other one's St. Louis, the King of France, who had a great love of the instruments of the Passion, Crown Thorns, so let's get back. I think Our Lady wanted to stress this devotion through Our Lady of Fatima. And when I was researching, writing the book, I did not ask to write that book. Fan publishers contacted me to write that book, so when I did the research, I stumbled upon this. May the 13th, connection. So Our Lady of Fatima is connected to the devotion to the Archconfraternity of the Holy Face. Okay, so there's the connection. They don't want to talk about 1849, miracles in Rome. So guess what? I'm sure all of you know who St. Maximilian Colby is. And I'm sure some of you remember that when he was studying to be a priest in Rome, that the Freemasons were going out on parades and marches, and they were blaspheming the Holy Catholic Church. Maybe you don't know this, though. Around 1849, give or take a year, the Secretary of the State, that means the number two guy in charge of the whole church right under the Pope was killed in cold blood by the Freemasons. And so Pope Blessed Pius IX escaped from Rome because his life was in jeopardy and he went to Gaeta. And he commanded all the churches in Rome to make reparation for that crime of the Freemasons. And so the canons of St. Peter decided to take the bell of Veronica and display it just like this for three days long, which was unheard of. And they had a very thin piece of cloth, either silk or linen. It was hanging over the bell Veronica because one cardinal told me that the bell Veronica is so old you can't see the liniments anymore. It's really just brown. So they covered it, but it was still the image. And so what happened is the liniments began to appear on this blank piece of fabric, and there was a light that was glowing from it. It was a death-like hue, like someone who was going through his passion. And the canons of the cathedral 
were, were off, and they were kneeling down, and they were moving from different places because they thought it was a mirage, and they noted, this is really a miracle. So they called the Vatican notary, and the Vatican notary came and certified it as a miracle. Then the canons rang the bells. Remember, this is 1849, no cell phones, so when you hear bells, you run, and they're Italian, so they ran to see this. And it was a talk of, town, of, of, it was a talk of Rome for months. And the Cannons actually wrote it in the Vatican Day Book, so it's proof, historical proof, right there. And there's some people that say, oh, there's a supposed miracle that happened in 1849 on the Battle of Veronica. Well, don't listen to them. So this miracle happened, and there were artists that came up during the three hours, and they began to draw what they saw. So you have different images by different artists. And they were put on an engraving machine and they took linens or silk and they would take that art and they would print it. Hundreds of them. Thousands of them. And they touched them to the Bell of Veronica, the spear, and the Holy Cross. And they had a stamp on it and even a certificate on some of it, depending on what era it was. They mailed them all over Europe. And three of them came to the carnival and tours. The Mother Superior kept one and gave two to Venerable Leo Pont. And Beryl Leo Pont put one of them in his drawing room and he had a, a candle. I think you know, he had an olive oil, he had a oil lamp, a few of them, burning day and night. And people would come in and ask for cures. And he would take the oil and he would say certain formulae of blessings. And people were getting cured left and right. There were so many cures that he had these oil stocks that he was mailing out, people were getting cured. He was getting so many letters in the mail. He did this for decades. And there were 6,000 certified miracles. That means they were certified by physicians saying this is a cure without explanation and they would sign it on an oath. And this got to the years of Pope Blessed Pius IX. And he said, Venerable Leopold is a wonder worker of our times. And I always talk about this is big. These are the big leagues. I always talk about St. Vincent Ferrer, who performed over a thousand or ten thousand miracles. Whenever that he would be walking around, they would ring a bell when a miracle would happen. He had the gift of tongues, so he could preach without a microphone to ten thousand people outside. And when he would preach, he only knew one dialect of his own uh, language, and it was translated by the Holy Spirit to different languages and dialects, so everyone could understand him. So these actually are extremely rare, but he had a lot of them. And so Venerable Leopold is at a level of miracle making that, that St. Vincent Ferrer was at. One time, I think I read that St. Vincent Ferrer was told under obedience by the superior, stop performing miracles, so he was walking by a building, and someone was on a scaffolding, and they fell, and he said, wait, i got to go ask for permission, so he was in it suspended in thin air and he went to ask for permission to do a miracle and he came and blessed him and he landed safely. So, lots of miracles. So, we've got to pay attention to Venerable Leo Pont. He's very unknown. I don't even know why his cause hasn't gone forward. In May of 2024, I plan to go to, to France to get some more information. So, Venerable Leo Pont lives till 1876. He was the one who was promoting the revelation of Sister Mary St. Pierre, because Sister Mary St. Pierre died 30 years before he did or so. And 
her revelations were put in the archives of the diocese. And there was a few bishops that went by, and Archbishop Collett brought them out of the archives and sent them to the Salem monks to see if they were dogmatically correct, theologically. And the Salem said, yes, they're great. And so he started the confraternity of the Holy Faith after Venerable Leto Pont died around the year of 1884 because there were so many people still coming there because of the, the miracles and being devoted to this holy faith. And then, after a year, they proposed the idea to Pope Leo XIII to make this an arch confraternity, and he elevated it instantly to an arch confraternity in 1885. And so, St. Charles of Lisieux was one of the first members to sign up in 1885, the inaugural year that it was started. And so was another saint, her daddy, St. Louis Martin. So if you want to be a member with those people in this spiritual army, sign up. We have uh, sign-up forms over there. If you want to sign up, remember, I'll tell you the six conditions. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about communism. I don't want to go too much over an hour. But the six conditions for being a member of the Archcomptory of the Holy Faith. First, you enroll. Second, you receive the enrollment papers. Third, you propagate the devotion. Fourth, you wear an effigy of the Holy Face, like the cross. Mine's underneath my cassock. Then you say every day, O Lord, show us thy face, and we shall be saved. And our Father, glory be. Our Father, hail Mary, glory be. And then you got to go to a monthly meeting. And that's how you can destroy the revolution. What is the revolution? It's a lot. Part of it is communism. Communism was started by Karl Mark, who could be considered was a man possessed. There was a man who wrote a book about that. Engels and Hegel. Reagan, President Reagan, thought communism is neither an economic or political system, it is a form of insanity. Communism are their quintessential traitors. Back in the 1840s, they grew up in the Catholic Church, and now they're, they're traitors. It's always the inside job that gets you, right? Like the United States of America, if she falls, it'll probably be an inside job. The church can never fall, but it can get so small, it'll be an inside job. If they take away all of our finances, the central banks, it'll be an inside job. It's always an inside job. And guess what? We shouldn't have a thing called bitter zeal, like pumping our fists at God, like this is wrong, what's happening, God. No, he's punishing us because we deserve it. Because we're a human family that's turning our back on God, literally, in our sanctuary. So, the Communist Manifesto came out in 1848. So that's important to remember. When Sister Mary St. Pierre was receiving these revelations, it was right when the Communist Manifesto was coming out. And when Venerable Leo Pont saw what their manifesto was, he said, if these communists get what they want, the whole world will be enslaved. I don't know about you, but back in 2019, I felt like that was a possibility. And guess what? It's probably not over yet. But if a million people sign up, it's over for them. It's pretty simple. So in communism, we have the Hague Island dialectic, the thesis, antithesis. The communists create a problem in a society, and then they have a solution. Well, the problem isn't a big deal to them. They don't care about it. It's kind of a temporary thing, but the solution is what they want us all to go to. 
So they create this problem, and then we all get nervous, and then we go to this solution, thinking we're freed of it. Well, then we're, we're getting enslaved each time. It's called the final solution in Nazi Germany, too. The communists hate priests. The communists have ten commandments, and two of them deal with priests. The first one is, never forget that the clergy is the most powerful enemy to the communist state. Third, convince your friends not to have any contact with priests. And remember, what was the price of communism to bring it into Russia and China and parts like Vietnam? 100 million people died from that. And that's a conservative number. It's probably a lot more. Russia, 25 million. Small nations, 10 million. China, 65 million. And they pretty much own our country. So let's stop talking about communists, but very quickly, I'm almost done. St. Therese of Lisieux. A few years ago, someone sent me a book called The Whole World Will Love Me. I read the book. It's about the devotion that St. Therese of Lisieux had of the Holy Faith. I'm like, why have I never read this book? It was great. Her blood sister was the mother superior in Lisieux for three years. And when she was mother superior, she told her blood sister, St. Therese of Lisieux, you need to be the, the formation. Help me, brother. Novice mistress. That's right, novice mistress. You need to be the novice mistress. So she was. And she was handed a book by a very obscure nun in a place called Tours, a Carmelite. Guess whose autobiography it was? Sister Mary St. Peter. So she read that autobiography and adopted a devotion to the Holy Face. And she became a very serious client. Not only a member, when she signed up before she became a nun, but she was very devoted. And when she got tuberculosis, she had a picture on her window blinds. And she would look at that. When it was breathing was hard for her. And she would look at his face and have very great poetry from that. So she passed away. And during the cause of canonization, her blood sister, Mother Agnes, testified under oath during the Kansas process, quote, however tender was her devotion to the child Jesus, it cannot be compared to the devotion which she had for the Holy Face. She's going to win a lot of people over, I think. Why don't we know that? Why didn't we know that? It's amazing. Okay. This is something St. Therese said, quote, I wish that, like the face of Jesus, Mine should be, as it were, hidden and despised, so that no one on earth should esteem me. I thirsted to suffer and to be forgotten, and he never left unsatisfied any wish he has inspired me. Okay, that's the end of my talk. How do we practice this talk? What is the arch confraternity of the Holy Face? I told you the six conditions. Some people ask me, Father, what order are you? I'm a Nasa priest. Guess what? The priests of the Holy Face were erected by the Archbishop to promote the devotion to the Holy Face. And guess what? They're canons. Dawson priests. I know this devotion was given to a Carmelite, but it's been propagated by Dawson priests. The brown scapular is propagated by a Carmelite. The rose is propagated by the Dominicans. There's all other devotions propagated St. Benedictional by the Benedictines. But this devotion, I think, is destined to be propagated by the Austin priests. Because 
The priests of the holy things, who were the awesome priests, were propagating it until the all holy office shut them down in 1893. And I need to research why that happened. But I have my ideas. How did I find this devotion? There's a walking saint. I won't name who she is. But she's a Benedictine of Mary, Queen of the Apostles. I was getting ready to write an article, and I said, what should I write about? And she said, oh, Father of Holy Faith. I've never heard of this devotion. And it, I discovered it through her. And she only talks to me like one or two minutes a, a year. And that was a Christmas day, so she could talk to me that day. I remember what she says, because she doesn't talk much. So how do you learn more? There's a book over there I wrote. There's also called Emmanuel, the Archconfraternity of the Holy Face, which is online. And there's many people printing them off now so you can have them. If you go to our website, you can buy them. We make them in these leather covers. Does anyone know who Sister Wilhelmina is? Raise your hand. Yes. Yes. Well, Sister Wilhelmina is in the same Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles that the sister who told me about the devotion the Holy Face is in. And I'm their chaplain. And Sister Wilhelmina, I was the deacon at her funeral about four years ago, and probably everyone here knows it, but they found Sister Wilhelmina intact, incorrupt. So there's a process going on in the diocese level, and then probably a canonization process will go on after that. But I was her confessor and chaplain for her last six years. And I found out just a few months ago she was a member of the Archconfraternity of the Holy Face. And she joined on February 5, 1977. There's a confraternity at the Carmel in Dallas. So I contacted the Carmel in Dallas, which has, yeah, the Archconfraternity of the Holy Face there. They have the confraternity. And they had typed out her name. And since she was a religious, she was in a special section of the royal book and her day. And at that time, she was Sister Wilhelmina of the Oblates of Divine Providence, which she was in for 50 years. And then she joined, she started, she founded the Benedictine Mary, and that's where she lived the last 20 years of her life. And she stood up for three things. The traditional habit. So if you see that, thank them for wearing it. Then she stood up for the traditional Latin Mass. That's what she wanted for her community, and that's what they had. And then she was a member of the Archconfraternity of Holy Faith. And so, how do I get assigned books? I'll be signing books after the Q&A. But some of you might want to leave, so I'm going to give you all a blessing, and then we'll do a Q&A. Is that okay? Okay. Seat nomen nomen benedictu. Domine exaudi ratio meo. Domine sobis. Benedictio de me potenti patrimonio Thank you for listening to another edition of WQPH's Local Matters. We hope you enjoyed the broadcast and hope you have a blessed week.